Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back. Welcome. It's another... We, honey, haven't we been through this? Okay. Wow. Uh, it's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. Matthew is on the Zoom, as you may have already heard again. And uh, I'm, I'm going to keep trying to, to explain that. You know how you do the, the pre-recorded intro at the beginning? Yes. Yeah, that's me technically thanking recorded Matthew. Why so, would you thank recorded Matthew? It's there every week. Do you think the audience doesn't know that it's pre-recorded? Well, I just thought it's a nice way to do it and bring you into the show immediately. For for God's sake, I talk enough about my own fucking self. I thought it I thought it gave the illusion of selflessness on my part. <laughs> Not working apparently. Okay. Wow. Uh-huh. Hi, Matthew. Hi, David. So we have got a, another Lulu of an episode. Technically, uh, first half of the two-part season finale, though the two episodes really have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> okay. Why is this a two-parter? I, I don't. I don't know that it is a two-parter. I think they just you. Oh, uh, nope, there it was. There was the first. Ugh, I'm sorry. Yep. <laughs> The uh, ugh factor. You don't have anything nice to say. Don't say anything at all. So I will not be commenting for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> well, uh, let's let's do this anyway. Season eight, episode twenty-three, rites of passage, part one, uh, with an original air date of May second of nineteen eighty-seven. Uh, Is it part one? Is it part one? Um, it's weird. It's in some places it's called part one. I think um, Wikipedia calls it part one and part two, but on the DVDs, it says rites of passage and then rites of passage comma T-O-O for next week's show. Yes. And in IMDB, it also says rites of passage, part one, rites of passage, part two. Mm -hmm. But I am more inclined to think that I don't know why they called the first one rites of passage, but um. I'm more inclined to think that they were just trying to play on a, a rites of passage as well. Cause it's T O O. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, and I get it. There are rites of passage that take place in both episodes, but yeah. And this was run over two weeks. It's not like it was an hour long block where they did these two back to back. This ran May the 2nd and next week's show will have run on May the 9th, a week later. So there was no need to call it part one. And I, yeah, I'm with you. I am confused. And this is just only the beginning, people. Mm-hmm. Now, nuts and bolts. The episode was written by Matt Geller and Russell Friedman. Matt Geller is sometimes credited as G-E-L-L-A-R, sometimes as G-E-L-L-E-R. Uh, we've discussed him before. He's been a program consultant for six episodes this season. Previously, he wrote Post-Christmas Card earlier this season. That was his first, and now this is his second of two that he will write for the show. So this is it. He's done. 
Future shows of his will include The Cosby Show, Married with Children, Small Wonder, and Who's the Boss? And most of these credits are all one-offs. Like he didn't, he didn't have a series that he wrote multiples for. I mean, including this one. He only has nine writing credits. And uh, the biggest of which is 11 episodes of The Care Bears in 1985. Mm. So that's where he must have met Michael Maurer, our other cartoon writer. Mm. We should definitely give him five minutes of, of talking about his resume. Well... He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. He does have an IMDb page. And, uh, but I did learn that he was born oh, back in <laughs> fucking with you. <laughs> Let's move on to Russell Friedman. Okay. Uh, yes. Can, can we move on, please, Matthew? Jesus, please. Can I, can I, okay. Can, can we drop it? Can we stop now? Can we move on to Russell? Mm. Thank you. Uh, Rizelle Friedman has been program consultant for six episodes. Previously, she wrote The Reunion. This is also episode number two of two. So she is also out of here after this. She is done. And the episode was thankfully directed by John Boab, our in-house director, old faithful, as we like to call him. Are you sitting down and ready for the synopsis? Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. College graduation has arrived for Joe and Blair, which means their families are coming to town. Joe is diligently working on a speech that she's been asked to make at the graduation. She bucks convention and writes a real world tell it like it is speech, which is rejected by the school. So Joe bows out of doing the speech and Blair is asked by the school to give the speech instead. The complication Joe's parents have surprised Joe by flying over her grandfather from Poland. And all he is there to do is to see his granddaughter give the speech. He's also planning big trouble for Moose and Squirrel while he is here. <laughs> He's Polish, not Russian. How okay. dare you? <laughs> um, Joe takes way too long to break the news to him and then finally at the commencement Blair pulls a switcheroo and reads Joe's original speech crediting her friend and making Joe's family still proud in the process <sighs> the barely B plot Tootie needs a monologue for a big summer stock audition in two days she asks Joe if she could write something for her, but since Joe is so busy with the speech, Natalie offers to write her something, and it creates friction between the two. Whoa, didn't see that coming a mile away. And the barely C plot is Andy needs a new suit. The end. And for some reason is scared to death of Taylor's. Yeah. You want to let's you know what? Let's tackle this Andy situation right at the gate right out. Let's get this out of the way. So we have to fucking talk about it later. Uh, there is a short scene at the beginning that is cut from the syndicated version. Basically, this this Andy plot is three little pieces. The first one is he comes down in a suit that is clearly too small for him. And he's arguing with Beverly Ann that he wants to wear this. And Beverly Ann's like, you're not fucking wearing that. You look ridiculous. We'll get you another suit. That you don't see if you watched it on Daily Motion. Part two is Beverly Ann measuring Andy and trying to do the alterations herself. And part three is Andy comes down in a suit and looks good, but the wacky button is your shoes are ugly. Those are bad sneakers. We got to get you shoes now. Whoa. And that's it. 
Yeah, really? it, also, it includes your favorite sitcom trope of her introducing him to an audience. Oh, yes. People. Thank you for noticing that. Yes, when he has the suit on, <laughs> Beverly Ann comes downstairs presenting the hot look of fashion for young teenagers. Yep. Oh, you know, that's one of my least favorite sitcom moments. Uh, in, the, in the first bit, which again, I'm sorry, people who don't have the DVDs, uh, the deleted portion, she does say, no, you're not wearing that suit. We're taking you to a tailor to get measured and get you a new suit. And he responds with, nobody is measuring my inseam. Really, Andy? Not even a large Swedish woman, perhaps? Hmm? From the spa last week that you were all horny about maybe hooking up with a woman triple your age? Horny little Andy? No? Okay. There are female tailors out there, just saying. Penny Hoosel. Um, the barely B plot of Tootie and Natalie in this stupid fucking monologue. We, we've seen this happen before. They have done it at least twice before that I can think of. As far as uh, Natalie wrote for, wrote for Tootie for Senior Spoof Night, uh, which was the episode of uh, Advanced Placement. That was where Natalie got to take a course at Langley. Uh, we had the wonderful Zach Nadalski and Kurt Von Schmidow on the show for that episode. And uh, that was one of them. And then there was the Me and Eleanor episode. Remember when Natalie was writing the Eleanor Roosevelt play where Tootie was in a fucking barrel the entire show? Maybe third time's the charm. Wasn't she, wasn't she like widely panned for both of those yeah. performances? So, I mean, yeah. okay. One girl at the sorority said she did like Tootie in Make Mine Macaroni. But that but wasn't I, written by Natalie. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't think that was. Thank you for verifying that. Yeah, which uh, begs the question that we've been asking over and over throughout this entire podcast. Is Natalie a good writer? And is Tootie a good actress? I wrote down, they say to each other, you're a terrific actress. I'm a terrific writer. No, you're not. <laughs> We have no proof that either of you are good at acting or writing. In fact, we have a lot of proof proving otherwise, mm -hmm. for God's sake. So, And when Tootie comes out and does her monologue for Blair, and it's one of those off, like, it's like waiting for Guffman level. When you walked out on me, my life was just a pile of rubble. And now here I stand before you. And Tootie's doing it this way and gesturing and gesticulating. And, and before she starts it, she has to massage her temples. It's like, okay, if you, Kim Fields, were not an actress, and you, John Boab, the director, were not a director of actresses, I would say this moment was brought to you by people who have no fucking clue what and how an actor does what an actor does. It's, it's just, it, it's, it's almost insulting. It's, it's that it's, it's adjacent to that thing of how TV portrays theater people. You know, when you have a theater actor or someone, she's a big star of the stage and this grand dame walks in and Oh, darling. And, it's just like, real. who do you know that talks like that? What the shit? Lula Bankhead. Uh, well, she was one in a million, honey. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and actually, she had she had some subtlety. <laughs> yeah. But I, it's just I, it's 2D acting. So I, 
Yeah. I, you have issues with I... Kim Fields acting. So Kim <laughs> Fields acting, acting is doubly problematic. <laughs> what can I say about Judy's acting that I have not already said? True. So, so true. Yep. The only thing that I can credit this terrible B plot is that it happens. The, the idea for it does happen while Joe is sitting at the typewriter in the middle of the living room, trying to think of her speech, trying to write her speech. She's got a bunch of, you know, drafts crumpled up and thrown away because she can't seem to figure out what and how to write it. They've given her uh, sample speeches of previous years and they just don't feel right to her. And she doesn't know what she's going to do. And when Natalie and Tootie are bouncing around about, yeah, you could write it. Yeah, this would be the, you could act it and make it dramatic, make it. A, and something comes out about Tootie, this is going to be great because it's going to highlight you just being yourself. And so after they go, Joe says, just be yourself, huh? And that's when she begins to start to write what we know will be the real world, tell it like it is speech. So that's the only time that these two plots touch slightly upon each other well she can... does she does come running down the stairs and say to um joe you took english lit i've got two days to come up with a monologue what you you also have a friend upstairs that's a writer yeah and you're a, a freshman in a drama program at a college you don't have any monologues in your yeah. back pocket. You haven't been taking a monologue class to work on auditioning and monologuing because that's literally the most important thing you need when you're young and trying to just pound the pavement and get some work. Well, and she says there aren't any monologues that really, Tootie? Tootie, <laughs> you're a first year acting student. There's not one monologue in the history of monologues that covers your breadth of acting. <laughs> okay got it thank okay and she does say i need something you know that's really going to wow them and something original because by the time i get in there and say i have always relied on the kindness of strangers it'll be the hundredth time they've heard it oh not that well delivered there 2d wow <laughs> holy fuck balls that was that was bad pretending to act badly, acting well, badly, good. Um, we have another trope going on here and we've been through this before. I believe it was Natalie who was sitting at the table behind the couch trying to write or trying to do something and getting annoyed that everybody keeps interrupting. So Joe is trying to do this speech and Blair is coming down and talking about the expensive gifts that her parents are going to be buying her for graduation. And then Tootie comes down. I need a monologue. And then Andy comes down with Beverly Ann bitching about the suit. And it's just like, why are you in the living room? What the, it's you're, you're in the middle. I think you were the one that first said that last time we were dealing with this, but it's like, what think? Go to your bed, go to your room, go sit on the fucking toilet if you have to, if you need your privacy. Jesus. Well, and we'll find out next season because we didn't see it this season. We'll find out next season the kitchen has a full table that she could be sitting at. Oh, that's we have that's right. We have not seen the kitchen in over our heads. We haven't been there in two seasons, have we? No. We'll not be since there. Edna's edibles. We'll see it next season. But wow. Yeah, there's a whole table in there that she could be sitting at. <laughs> well, 
Um, so thankfully, we've got those out of the way. Now we can talk about the really meaty part of the episode, the graduation storyline. And uh, we've got a lot of show Bible moments. And I'm going to be touching upon every single one of them uh, as we do it. Can we mention, because we haven't mentioned, and forgive me if this is a thing and I don't, and I don't know what I'm talking about. At a college graduation, do they randomly choose somebody to be what is referred to as a class speaker? Uh, probably not. Why wouldn't you just make one of them a valedictorian? You're writing this, for yeah. Christ's sake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I agree. I did wonder. Like, I... Wouldn't it be a bigger deal if the valedictorian turned down the right to speak at her college graduation? That mm -hmm. maybe if Joe were the, I mean, she was valedictorian, was she not of Eastland? Of Eastland, yeah. She is not here. And I did wonder that. I did, I, I had the same question of what is precipitating this? The I remember as a class speaker, doesn't the valedictorian speak? Like, isn't that the person who speaks at a college graduation and gives this inspirational go get them speech? Except unless you're watching fucking. Um, back to school and then Rodney Dangerfield, the stars, the star swimmer apparently gets to give a speech, but 60 year old star swimmer. Yeah. No, I think I'm with you that there's something weird there, <laughs> especially since that Joe did not submit. Joe didn't walk up to them saying there was a sense of she was agonizing over it. There was the sense of like, oh, I got to fucking do this speech. Well, then why are you doing it? And again, maybe I'm wrong about. That. Well, the only hint that we have about it being an academic thing, I thought, well, maybe is she valedictorian? They don't mention that. But what does happen is when the parents come in, when Charlie and Rose show up, he does say, is this the home of Magna Cum Polnicek? No. I thought that was just a bad graduation joke. I Maybe. And I mean, it should. I mean, if it had been Summa Cum Polnicek, that is the highest, the, you know, if you if you graduate summa cum laude or, or laude, 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 I don't know how to say it out loud. I think it, <laughs> see what I said there? Um, but yeah, I did look this up, by the way. The, the GPA for cum laude is 3.5 to 3.7. Magna cum laude is 3.8 to 3.9. And, and summa cum laude is 4.0, meaning perfect. Yeah, I think I'm right, because otherwise... David, you're asking the average um, sitcom watching people to know a lot about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it was just a, a stupid graduation stupid joke. dad joke. Yeah, I mean, maybe. But all of these, the all the versions and levels of, of cum laude, it's literally a difference between an A minus, an A and an A plus. Like it's just the top performers where their average score for all their classes combined. Uh, I think you're asking a lot for somebody to hear that and go, oh, that means Joe it graduated with an A, not an A plus. So she is not the valedictorian. That's asking a lot. Yeah, it is weird. They should have just made her. Honestly, I'm not sure I would have liked her being valedictorian for all the. It's like, really? Especially since two weeks ago, she had no idea what she was going to do with her life. Yeah, but was so. doing all nighters at the fucking radio station. And next week. Suddenly, miraculously, Joe is going into software development for education. Yeah. As you do. But yeah. we're getting far, far ahead of ourselves there. So, Oof. yeah, we're back to we do not know why the fuck this speech is on Joe. 
And uh, and she does say, you know, all I said is it's a tough world out there. And if you have any hope of changing it, it's not going to come from a diploma alone, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? If I can't give the speech I want to give, I won't give any speech at all. So she's bowing out voluntarily. They didn't say you're not giving the speech. They said you can't give the one that you wrote. So to her credit, she is bowing out. So now Charlie and Rose arrive. Claire Malice as mom. This is her fifth of six appearances. Alex Rocco as dad, Charlie. This is his ninth of 11 appearances. Uh, we have a, I'm, I'm going to do my thing I did before. Show Bible good, show Bible bad moments. Mm, I can't think of a better way to do this. Show Bible good moment. Beverly Ann says, how was the trip up? And he says, not bad for two divorced people in a Volkswagen. Mm. Correct. They are divorced. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, correct, he does drive a Volkswagen. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I'm not sure I can expect the writers to be this good, but here's another possible show Bible good moment that we can imagine. Remember when Joe was having trouble figuring out how she was going to afford college? Charlie sold his antique car, his old, remember, his old convertible? Yeah. yeah. So the idea is maybe in their minds, they thought, well, we know he doesn't drive a fancy car right now. Yeah. And they'll figure out that Joe's not the valedictorian because we'll say Magnum cum laude. Yeah, exactly. Rather than summa cum laude. You know, this show doesn't take its audience for idiots, Matthew. Come on. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. She's a brilliant actress and she's a brilliant writer. Got it. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're uh, cooking with gas here. So then they say, we have your graduation present for you. I would have been like, I hope you kept the receipt. <laughs> she said, what the fuck is that? What? Okay. It's and, her and grandfather. You're, and they make another point where, where mom does say, this is your graduation present. This, he is it. Meaning we flew him over from Poland. We're not fucking doing anything else for you. But, what? Uh, really? She hasn't seen him since he since she was seven, which was 15 years ago. She doesn't recognize him. Well, he sure recognizes her. So somebody I mean, like, it, I mean, obviously he knows that's who he's there to see. But, I, I, but we, this was what the writers thought would be a storyline. Just make her valedictorian. Let make her have to deal with turning down the speech in front of her parents as a valedictorian, the first Poland check to go to college, and then have Blair, who's been handed everything, get up there and give the speech, who is not valedictorian. That's enough of a story. It we, is. We didn't need Papa Moskowitz showing up. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, exactly. The idea is the parents could have been the people like we are so proud and we're so excited. And this weekend is such a big moment in our family. Because I worked at valedictorian. We're going to get to see you up there valedictorianizing. I was a waitress at a fucking cocktail bar, Joe, <laughs> to put you through goddamn private school and get you into this. You are giving this fucking speech. Mm hmm. And that was enough. I didn't need somebody I haven't seen since I was seven whose only life mission is to see me speak. And fuck that. 
I didn't yeah. mean that. It is so important. It is so important to hear my mute, my little Kashka. I had to look it up. I was like, is Kashka like a Polish uh, term of endearment or whatever? I did a little bit of a deep dive. It's really just the nickname for Catherine, like Kate or Kathy Kashka. But there is, I did find one website where one woman said, my, grand, my, my Polish grandfather used to call me my little Kashka, even though my name is Ethel or whatever. And it was just like, okay, well, clearly that was just a nickname. I, whatever. Anyhow, it's at least it's a Polish word. It's not, <laughs> you know, my little Anastasia. Nope, wrong country. But yeah, we do get Sheldon Leonard, the actor, the veteran actor as Grandpa Joseph Polnicek. He is 80 years old. And I, Matthew, I don't say this often. I did not recognize him. I did not know how I knew him. He was not one of those actors where I went, oh yeah, you look at him and you think, oh, that guy. Because he's so much older than I recall seeing him well, in his many, many TV appearances. See, he was one of those where I, I, I looked through his extensive, like, I mean, Jesus Christ, the man has worked. Well, fuck and yeah. His his IMDb page is redonkulous. Mm -hmm. um, and then to, to scroll through it and think, yep, this is literally the only thing I've ever seen him in. <laughs> oh, you okay. I was gonna say, uh, let's let's do my little my little spiel here about him. Okay. He is 80 years old. He passed away in 97 at the age of 89. He worked up until he was 84. Uh he has 109 credits in a 58-year career as an actor. He has six writing credits, including The Danny Thomas Show and The Andy Griffith Show. That's because he has producer credits and creator credits and executive producer credits for shows mm -hmm. like The Andy Griffith Show, Danny Thomas Show, Bill Dana Show, Dick Van Dyke Show, Gomer Pyle, and The Don Rickles Show as well as 21 director credits also reflected in mostly those shows. Uh, but yeah, so I had no idea he was also a director, producer, writer. This is, he's kind of TV royalty here with the shows he's worked on. But yeah. mostly in his early career, he frequently played gangsters and heavies, in particular in It's a Wonderful Life. He's the bartender uh, in To Have and Have Not. He plays a gangster and homosexuals will remember him in Guys and Dolls, the movie, as Harry the Horse, kind of the second-in-command uh, sidekick to Big Julie from Chicago, if you recall that. And Sheldon and Leonard are named after him in the Big Bang Theory, for God's sake. Are they? Yes. I missed that in my dive. Really? Because <gasps> the creator of the show had so much respect for this dude because, like... He also created backdoor pilots. Mm -hmm. Like he's he's considered the person that created backdoor pilots. And he did that by putting Danny Thomas on an episode of the Andy Griffith show. Uh-huh. And so, then Mayberry RFD is yeah. what came out of the Andy Griffith show is sort of the continuation series. So, so okay, well, that makes sense. Chuck Lorre, as a writer, producer, creator of TV shows, would worship him. I did not know that. There, I just learned something new. Thank you, Matthew. You're welcome. Wow. I would like the listeners to notice that this is either in the extras or 
I would also like you to notice that if it was left in, that David did not actually Google that. <laughs> How very dare you? We have a lovely sitcom moment where we need to get Beverly Ann in the room to say hello to the parents. And she had just been working uh, on fitting Andy with the pants. Oh, by the way, let me know if the pants are tight enough, Andy. And he says, they're tight enough. In his falsetto, prepubescent Andy. Really? Does, does it's like, I, I can tell you as a man, uh, as a male who is an adult, whose voice has changed, that's not a thing. And somebody in the room should have said that that's not really a funny joke because it doesn't make any sense that a young boy whose voice hasn't changed would get higher if uh, theoretically his pants were being pulled too tight. Is that a thing for adult men? Typically, like if you know, it's a common comedic trope. You kick a a guy in the balls and he'll talk like this, like it's really high. Yeah, but that doesn't really happen, does it? Oh, well, yeah, eunuchs back in the day, you know, eunuchs who were, were castrated. Now, the question is, is it that they were, um, were they castrated before their voices changed? And so because they never oh, had geez. the testosterone introduced into the system, oh, I don't know. That would okay. require a deep dive on eunuchs. But yes, I, I think there is some truth I'm to it, but not a lot of truth to it. I'm sorry I brought it up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Um, but anyway, so to get Beverly Ann in the room as she has been doing this fitting with her scissors and her thread needle, she comes walking into the room and says, has anyone seen my, oh, there it is. And it's her entire fucking sewing kit sitting on the dining room table where it was before when Andy was standing next to it on a box or something or on a chair while she was fitting. Yeah, of course it's there. That is literally the place you were just using it. She's batty and flighty, David. It's whimsical. <sighs> she wouldn't know where her where she just left something. You're telling me you've never walked into the kitchen and had no idea why you walked in there? <laughs> I would have walked over to the table where I knew I had just been using my sewing kit. And if it wasn't there, I would be, has I, honestly, they should have had her take it and put it down somewhere else in the room and have her walk in and look for it on the table and be, well, what has anyone said? Oh, no, there it is. But the fact that it is exactly in the place where she left it, where it was supposed to be, I, I'm sorry. Uh, Beverly Ann's flighty and ridiculous. Of course she'd forget where it was. If all the things in this episode, that's what you're most upset about? Is- oh no, I got shit I'm, okay. I, I'm way more upset about other stuff. <laughs> okay, good. Uh-huh. Like, oh. Yeah. Anyway, so we have the awful thing of uh, Joe has just given up the speech. Now we've got the grandfather and the only thing that I have to experience before I die is to watch you make this speech. I'm going to kill myself afterwards. There will be nothing left to live for. And it's It's like all I have. It's all he has. Somebody who has not been in contact with you for for 15 years your beloved grandfather that okay wow all right and again i get it i get it i get it but just that sitcom trope of not being honest right off the bat why 
I'm here to see you give that speech. Oh yeah, about that. I'm so happy you're here. I'm not giving a speech. I'm sorry. You were given some bad information. What? I'm not giving a speech. Just what? Ugh. Again, sitcom trope, the trope of, oh, I don't know how to tell him. So I'm going to put it off because that's going to make it easier. Yeah. By the way, great hair episode for Nancy McKeon. Her mullet has grown out, but it's not crazy. And it's got size and shape and it's the perfect scale. I, I am in love with her hair. And I'm very happy she didn't tie it up before she put her graduation cap on the way Lisa Welchel did. So the the commercial moment happens when Blair comes in and says the school has called her and said they want me to give the speech instead of you, Joe. And that's the dum-dum-dum. Why wasn't the dum-dum-dum Joe telling her grandfather and having him say, I have never been so disappointed in my life. I'm going to go curl up and die and leave the room unhappy and Joe feeling like shit. And and why didn't you tell me when I get here? Like that could have been the moment. And then suddenly he's George Hamilton and love at first bite. <laughs> well, I'm okay. so disappointed. I don't smoke shit. <laughs> well, Polish is not that far away from Hungarian. Shut up. Okay. But uh, so, but yeah, anyway, that's where we could have dumped, dumped, dumped. And then later in the scene, when she does tell him and and he says it's okay. The reason why he says it's okay is because she says, I didn't want to, I wanted to give the speech that I wanted to give and they wouldn't let me. And so I said, no. And that's where he could have said, oh, that's the, I thought, okay, if it's because you are sticking to your principles, I'm proud of you. Like we already get that sort of. So the, the, the resolution is already in place. It's just why this is the complication of, of Blair being chosen. And even later on, Blair says, you still don't understand about me doing this speech, do you? It's like, you, you guys really haven't been at odds about this. Joe hasn't really expressed. But anyway, do you hear what I'm saying though? That that would have been a better commercial break? Yeah. Show Bible good. All right. When Rose comes into the store, Blair and Rose know each other. She says, hello. And I think she calls her Rose too, which is nice. Show Bible bad. They say hello. And Rose says, oh, uh, Blair, I forgot to tell you, uh, there's a phone call for you. And Blair's like, oh, okay. And they walk into the house. <laughs> now, there was a customer in the store, by the way. We did have one customer in the store at the beginning of this scene. Once again, the whole question of well, if the phone in the house and upstairs is an extension of the phone that's in the store, which has been inconsistent. We're just continuing the inconsistency. So thank you right. for the consistency of that inconsistent thing. Now, I'm going to apologize for giving you a hard time about Beverly Ann's entrance and not being able to find her, her sewing, sewing kit. kit. Because Why? I had a huge problem with the fact that Rose walks in to the store and says, I almost forgot there's a phone call for you. Why, <laughs> why did you walk into the store? <laughs> it's okay. true. It's like, well, you hadn't seen Blair. So there was going to be a, hi, hello, I'm here, you're here. Granted, Blair should have heard it because it's in the next room. But 
Uh, yeah. I almost forgot there's a phone call for you. What were you going to do in here? Nothing. Because <laughs> <laughs> as we've established with my grandpa, we sell junk here uh, at this store. Yeah. I thought that was funny, though. You know, what do what you Because, I mean, when you think of it, can you imagine being an 80-year-old man from Poland visiting the States and walking in to over our heads in 1987? Can you imagine the level of what the fuck is happening right? You know, how high am I? <laughs> Moments. Bless. So Blair also, there is kind of a, a, a I don't know, a B minus plot, mm-hmm. D- David, that we skipped over about Blair buying herself her, her graduation gift. From her parents using yes. their money. Yes. To the point um, of where she thanks them and they say, well, that's wonderful. You're welcome. What did we get you? What did we get you? Um, she's very upset that the candy apple red Porsche is not available. So she buys herself a tiara. Is that a sitcom trope, David? Rich women, people wearing tiaras. Or women, just women getting tiara. Oh, like, oh, what do you think I, what do you, what should I get for my birthday? How about a tiara? Who do you know that's like, mm, what should I wear to dinner? Where's my tiara? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That is and such a- And if somebody shows up at a t- in a tiara, immediately I'm like, ugh. <laughs> or where's the costume party? Or it's either a fucking bachelorette party or something. So immediately I'm like, ugh. But it's, it's anyway, I just, it happens a lot. I thought tiaras as a kid because of 80s sitcoms, I thought tiaras were going to be a much bigger deal. <laughs> and that's coming from a drag queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not unless you're the grand duchess Anastasia. Uh, yeah. No, tiaras are definitely not a thing. And I can tell you they were definitely not a thing in 1987. I was there. <laughs> So after commercial, we do have the arrival of Blair's parents. Again, the so many show Bible moments because we're having to pull out all the stops. It's like Blair and Joe's graduation. We got to get the family involved here. And we get to revisit the wonderful Nicholas Coster as David Warner. With a nice helping of fudge on the side. No, (laughs) stop. Marge. You pronounce her name Marge. She just walks in and the show lights up. I fucking worship that woman. Yeah. And not a lot to do, not compared to last time when we saw her. But yeah, Nicholas Coster is David Warner, his fourth appearance of five. He will be there for the finale of the series. This is Marge Doucet's seventh of eight appearances. She will be in uh, something next season. And uh, yeah, so this is their collectively their penultimate episode. Oh. And and it's a landmark because we have never seen them together before. Oh, she's so good. She is. It's wonderful. Now, Even in the little she does, she's just, every line is just, mm-hmm. and she looks so great. Oh. Yeah. And he's honestly, he's great too. They're both soap actors, man. They know their shit. They've being a soap actor. We've talked about it. They've been through the fucking trenches. They're like, Oh, we have a week to rehearse this. We're going to have a <laughs> rehearsal taping and an audience taping. 
This is the lap of luxury for us. We usually have pages thrown at us minutes before the cameras roll and the fucking show airs the next day. You know, I mean, they are just crushing it. And uh, show Bible good moment. Beverly Ann has met David before. So she says, oh, hello, Mr. Warner. Good to see you. And then she does say in a funny moment, and who is your lovely date? And he says, that's not my lovely date. That's my ex-wife. Funny moment. And I was worried we were going to get into that awful sitcom trope of, oh, we're divorced. And so we hate each other. And man, man, we're mad. And Beverly Ann says, oh, did you come up together? And he's like, no, she rear-ended my limo with her convertible. And we just met at the door. So they're in a snit because they're playing the fact that, and especially a rich dude, his, his limo, this is his car. This is a big deal to him. So they are absolutely playing this correctly. And the writers have thankfully given them a good reason to be snippety with each other. So I'm really happy about that. I was upset that Beverly Ann is trying to place fucking place cards at a fucking dining room table at the beginning of that scene. Have you ever been to somebody's house for dinner where there were place cards? Fuck off, Beverly Ann. Yeah, fussy. <laughs> that's that's the fussy, annoying Phyllis Lindstrom we're uh, fucking, thing that's still happening. In a Buckingham Palace. We ain't planning a fucking wedding. Yeah. It's, just, it's fucking dinner. And they we're could all- have cut it. That they could have cut instead of uh, one of the earlier bits with Andy or, or something. It's like, ugh. Anyway. Now, we do have a show Bible bad moment. As the episode progresses more and more, and Monica is there, do you know what I'm going to ask? When has Monica met Beverly Ann? Uh, well, no, or- she ha- she hasn't. This is where Beverly Ann does meet Monica. This is that yeah. is a show Bible good moment that okay. she she does know David and would not know Monica. Okay. When was the last time we saw Monica? She had a baby. Christmas of last year. Does yeah. anybody ask about her 17-month-old baby? No. no. <laughs> Not a mention. No. Not a mention of a nanny. No one asking, how is she? Not even Blair saying, how is my sister? Or I wish you could have brought her. And she's going through a fussy phase. It really is better. And You know what I mean? But it's like, <laughs> you have a fucking baby lady and you don't even mention it? It doesn't even come up in conversation casually. Oh, yeah. But I, she, she shows up next season and drops off a toddler. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And when I say 17 month old baby, remember, that was the baby she carried for eight weeks. So, yeah, yeah. this baby could also be graduating college right now for all we fucking know. <laughs> <sighs> oh, wait a minute. Does does. Um, does Beverly Ann present Andy in the uh, presenting Andy in the actual tailored suit that fits? That might have been cut from syndication too. Mm. Forgive me, guys, if I got that wrong. But if you're wondering what the fuck we're talking about, then likely it is. But yeah, it's it's him having a suit on and uh, Mackenzie Aston crushing it. As Beverly Ann is kind of trying to talk like a fashion show, he's getting all posy and cool and check me out with it. And he's just he is magnificent. I love. Mackenzie in this yeah. and uh, oh oh by the way me and Eleanor the show we referenced earlier with Tootie and the Eleanor Roosevelt play mm-hmm. that was the season six show where 
we first were introduced to Andy when he first walked through the door of Edna's Edibles. Oh my God, show Bible good moment. No, just a reference. All right. Yeah. Uh, Tootie comes down the stairs. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Warner. That's a show Bible bad moment. And why, Matthew? Oh God. Monica's last name would not necessarily be Warner because remember, she was miraculously remarried when she turned up pregnant. Remember it was, hi dear, I'm pregnant. Oh really, what does your uh, husband say about it? Cause you know, you remarried. <laughs> we, we all know that, right? That she remarried and she didn't have this baby out of wedlock, but she was in the process of divorcing. Stephen is all we know his name was. Yeah. when she was deciding whether or not to have the baby. So the idea is, I'm imagining she would have taken her new husband's name. And again, the easy fix of this is, you know, hi, Miss, hi, Mr. Warner, hi, Mrs. Warner, and have him turn to her, have David turn to Monica and say, you still go by Warner? And have her say, uh, yes, dear, after the last divorce, I decided to keep the same name that my daughter has. Oof, wow. But you're asking a lot just to explain Tootie saying, hi, Mrs. Warner. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. And also, Tootie's 18. You could you could also maybe call them Monica and David. I'm just we, saying. We got 23 minutes here, David. Uh, I'm do just we, saying. Do we need a page of info about why she called yeah. her Mrs. Warner? Yes, I do. Oh, Absolutely. Jesus. I do. Okay. You're going to hate season nine. <laughs> yep. I know. Really. It's true. It's true. Oh, God. Next scene in the living room. We have a Charlie and David scene, Joe's dad and Blair's dad. And uh, they try to play up the whole Charlie being the guy, the salt of the earth, and David being the rich dude, and Charlie kind of manhandling him and putting his arm around him and stuff like that. That's all kind of fun stuff. It's nice to see these two veteran actors uh, doing good work. And show Bible good moment, they did meet four years ago. Remember, at the high school graduation, Charlie booked the nice hotel, even though no one thought he could afford it. And he said he ran into David there, uh, but then David got called away to London and ended up not showing for the graduation. So we actually never saw David Warner or Nicholas Coster at the high school graduation, but we know that they th that the dads did meet off camera. So this is a good thing. Before we go to the actual graduation scene, there's a little scene in the bedroom that I'm really sad got cut. It's Blair and Joe, just the two of them, putting on their caps and gowns. That whole scene, Matthew, is gone from syndication. Mm. And it has uh, them kind of making sure everything is cool with Blair giving the speech, and it is. And then they get into one of those nice, well, what's, what's next now? Kind of where we were four years ago. And I'm going to read this from the script now. In a few hours, a diploma, and then, well, who knows what's out there? And Joe says, well, whatever it is, we'll get through it. And Blair says, can you believe all we've been through in the last eight years? <laughs> Seven years, eight seasons. Joe did not come in till season two. Blair says the good times, and Joe says the bad. Blair says the laughter. Joe says the arguments. Blair says the friendship. And Joe pauses and says, I'll give you that one. Happy graduation, Blair. And then Blair puts on her cap and lets her tassel hang goofily in front of her face as she says, happy graduation, Joe. And I love that because it's a little schmaltzy, but that was able to give it a little bit of lightness 
And I, I just love that it's, this is the moment where we go, yeah, we've been through a lot and look at where they are now, where these, these two characters have evolved. So I'm, I'm kind of sad we lost that moment in the syndicated version. But then we move on to the auditorium. Uh, the guy that plays D- Auditorium is a strong word, David. Well, it's a big ass set. That's a big set. They, they pulled out all the stops. That was a large set, don't you think, considering? I mean, I felt like there were more graduates and there were people watching and 90% of the audience was there for Joe and Blair. Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah, not a very large graduating class. <laughs> the question of how big a school is Eastland uh, how big a college is Langley? It looks to me like there were like maybe 40 people yeah. in the in the end when they were throwing up their caps, like 40 graduates. Is it like, is it that small a college? Jesus. Wow. Um, so yeah, just uh, one other actor note. Ben Piazza is the actor who plays the Dean. And they refer to him as Dean Jones. <laughs> Dean Howard Jones. It's like two double word play. Howard Jones, the English pop star, and Dean Jones, the actor from The Shaggy Dog, <laughs> Disney actor. How weird. And I'm like, was that a, a reference? Did they know what they were doing or were they just stupid? Or Of course they did. There was a laugh there. Oh, really? And she said, thank you, Dean Jones. There was a... <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that. Well, anyhow, he has 102 acting credits in a 40-year career. A lot of stuff going on. Google him if you want. Very interesting stuff. And then, yeah, the nice, wonderful moment at the auditorium is when Blair starts to give her speech and says, I'm not going to give the speech. I'm going to give a speech my friend wrote and pulls out one of the uncrumpled pieces of paper so you know visually what she's about to do. And when they cut off her microphone, they cut off her fucking, like, you would think this was a, a state of the union presidential address for how fucking important. The, the, oh my God. Blair, these 30 people are going <laughs> to hear this. <laughs> so the big denouement is when the Dean walks over and says, Miss Warner, what do you think you're doing? And uh, I'm so happy over this moment when she says, I'm giving a speech in Warner Hall, in the Warner Wing of Warner Auditorium from my father, Mr. Warner. There he is now. Hi, Daddy. And the dean just says, carry on, Miss Warner. Show Bible good moment, Matthew. We know that he did donate a theater to the college. That was season eight, episode 10. That was just only 13 weeks ago when we discovered his insider tradings and him covering for his dad so he doesn't go to jail, which is why he couldn't be there when they opened the theater and Blair had to give the speech then too. I think you're asking a lot, David. I think that was just a joke about here, my dad practically bought this place. I don't think they were looking that too deep into it. Yeah, and I couldn't buy my way into law school, you fuckers. So I'm buying my way into saying this speech to 30 goddamn people. <laughs> So then over the credits, they do have a pomp and circumstance playing, showing them receiving, actually Blair and Joe receiving the diplomas, lovely cutaways of the parents looking on adoringly 
including Tootie and Natalie. Oh, Tootie got into the uh, got into summer stock. You know, when you go to an audition and before you leave the room, you know that you got in. That happens. Oh, but such a great bit. Everybody going down the line. Tootie got into summer stock and they get to David Warner. And he goes, I don't give a fuck. My daughter's giving a speech. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Nice game of telephone. What a funny. Tootie got into summer stock. <laughs> Tootie says she wants to sell some stock. Tootie, I'll have my broker call her in the morning. <laughs> what? Tootie has a cock? What? <laughs> I don't care. My daughter's giving a speech. Perfect. True. Very true. And one last way, nice little way to um, economically include everybody in that scene. That was really nice. I did like that in the writing. And then at the very end, we see them all tossing the caps tossing the caps and Blair and Joe have now officially done graduated. Yeah. Not as tearful as the high school graduation. No. Well, no. it would have been, but um, Papa Mouskowitz has to stand up <laughs> at the end. Fuck all these other kids. My granddaughter. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Topol sit down. <laughs> all right. Jesus Christ. Yeah, oh. she's, the, she's the only one. She's the only granddaughter here today. Sit down. All right. Yeah. Act, act like a person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so uh, uh, an episode that had a lot. It needed to cover a lot with including the parents. And, and I agree. The idea of adding so this grandfather, was, we did not need him. There was so much going on. We didn't need the grandpa. Nope. It was just, it's enough to disappoint the two people that worked so hard so you could go here. Yes, she's on a scholarship. I get it. But still. Ugh, anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> on that note, uh, yeah, so I, I wasn't totally mad at it because I guess there were enough show Bible good moments that when you have to do this type of a show and bring people in who have a history with the show and stuff like that, th there's a lot of stuff you need to cover to make me David happy. And uh, they did in a lot of instances, other instances, they fell a little short, but you know, um, but you know, Matthew, I've always said it really helps if you watch the show with a, uh, with a sense of whimsy. So and yeah. I was just about to say, it's a perfectly fine episode because we do get to see Blair's parents and Joe's parents. Mm -hmm. I, and it, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it, and it did what it needed to do. And in, include if you look at it in the full version that they actually broadcast, we do get a nice little Blair and Joe moment. Like, huh, here we are again, doing this again looking ahead and thinking what the fuck and think of where we've come. So yeah, those are the moments that are important. But if you want some real schmaltz, <laughs> that would be next week's episode, season eight, episode 24, called Rites of Passage Part Two or Rites of Passage Two, T-O-O, or Dumb and Dumber Two, T-O. Or, yeah, or... Rites of passage to dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and then it could have been the first episode of next season. could have been dot, dot, dot Malibu. I know. So true. 
So true. But we've got, oh, we got so much stuff to discuss. I cannot uh, wait till we get together next week to talk about that. Uh, folks, if you are listening and you want to watch the episode ahead of time, you know it is at Daily Motion for free. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. And that is all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And from me and Matthew, remember. Your facts of life are all about you, Fivel. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If I were a rich man. Diddle, diddle, diggle, 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 dum. Oh, bless. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs> <laughs>